Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Today, I, you know, we're in this series about no place like home, talking about family life and everything. And, and today I want to talk with you about what happy couples know. Have you ever been around happily married couples and wondered to yourself, you, maybe you didn't say it out loud, but you've wondered to yourself, what do they know that I don't? What do they understand that, that we apparently don't understand? You know, I think it's natural whenever we're around someone who is kind of successful in an area that we're maybe a little challenged in, to wonder what they have going for them and what they understand, what they know, that somehow has, has passed us by and we just don't get it. Um, and, and, and maybe it's like in an area of prosperity. Maybe you know some people and, and they are just good at making money. It seems like everything they touch turns to gold. And I will tell you that Carrie and I were youth pastors, you know, maybe 40 years ago now uh, in, in a church. And, and there was a guy and his wife there that everything they touched, every new adventure they set out upon turned to gold for them. They were, they were so, it was incredible what he was able to do. He just made money. In fact, we, we even made a joke about it in, in the church uh, uh, amongst ourselves. We, we, called, we said that Carl had the Midas touch. The, the guy just flat knew how to make money. And, and I have seen that in people through, year, through the years, that they're really good at dealing with finances or maybe any other area of life, and they just seem to kind of have a, 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 know, a knowledge about what it takes to make that particular area of their life really work. And sometimes I will tell you, it's made me wonder to myself, I, I, I wonder what they know that I don't. What do they know that I don't? And even in marriage, why is it that some couples seem so happy? Why is it that some marriages last so long? What is it that these couples know? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is when it comes to marriage, there are no secrets that exist that some people are able to fall upon the secret and make their marriage work, but the rest of us, we don't, we don't know what the secret is. And they're not going to tell us. You know, there, there are no secrets. There is no mystery formula that you can come upon that's going to make your marriage happy. Great marriages don't just happen, and you all know that. You've heard that all your lives probably. Marriages succeed because the people involved in the marriage work at it. They work at making it succeed. It doesn't just happen. And you're not just lucky that you found the perfect person. I will tell you, I, Carrie and I have had people tell us that, because we've been married a long time. Oh, you guys were just lucky that you found the right person. Luck has nothing to do with it. There's a lot of work and effort that goes in 
to making a marriage work and to becoming a happy couple. But I will say, after living enough years and maybe observing people and, uh, and observing couples and so forth through the years, I have noticed that there are, are some principles that are important to be implemented into a marriage that if you do it, if you understand what they are, and if you do it, it'll greatly increase the chances that your marriage is going to be strong and that your marriage is going to be happy. And there are probably quite a few of them. I just want to name three of them to you this morning and give them to you. Number one, happy couples develop right expectations of each other. They, they have learned what to expect and what not to expect from one another. Uh, now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do. Do you think that that means your marriage too? I, I think probably it does. That's not necessarily a marriage verse, but I have a feeling that God is saying, in your marriage, imitate Jesus Christ in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we celebrated that today through the act of communion, the last part of that verse. So what does it mean then to live following the example of Christ? How do you and I live following the example of Christ? Well, the, the answer is the last sentence. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So living, an example, living a life after the example of Christ means living filled with a love that causes you to sacrifice yourself to honor others, to build others up, to strengthen others. And this is no more true than it is in a marriage situation. When you get married, a lot of times we go into marriage thinking she's going to make me, she's going to do for me. She's going to make me happy. He's going to make me fulfilled. You know, whatever you put, the, you put in that sentence, we go in with these expectations. I kind of touched on that last week just a little bit, when I was talking about the subject of conflict last week and, and how we are to biblically deal with the whole issue of conflict that happens within our marriages. And I said one of the most important things that you can do when you're uh, experiencing conflict on a continuing basis, everybody has conflict sometimes, but if your marriage is conflict on a regular basis, one of the most important things you can do is learn to take it to Jesus, to take it to God before you talk to other people about it, before you yell at one another about it. You take it to Jesus first because God is amazing at um, kind of modifying our, our personality and our expectations and speaking to us about what needs to happen and change in us Usually we go to God saying, now this is what you need to do in her. This is what you need to do in him. And, and that may be somewhat true. But God never leaves us on that level. He's always talking to us about how we 
need to change personally. And when you take the situation, the conflict that's happening over and over and over again, when you're taking that to God instead of taking it to everybody else, it's amazing how God begins to conform your attitudes and adjust your attitude. Now, as part of that message that I shared last week, I said that one of the worst things that we do in relationships is in this area of what I would call expectations. We kind of saw that in the video that first came on where they're standing up there and in their mind they're thinking this is what the marriage is going to be and they were opposite of one another. Those were expectations that a lot of people bring into a marriage uh, uh, towards one another. And, and I talked last week about the fact that we expect too much out of one another. We expect someone else to fill the spot in our heart that only Jesus can fill. And when you expect another human being to fill a spot in you that only Jesus can fill, they won't be able to fill it. And when they can't fill it, what it's going to do is create tension in the relationship because your expectations are not being met. Then comes the conflict. So years ago, Carrie and I, like maybe 35 years ago, we're, we're driving uh, across country on a vacation and I come upon a, a Christian radio station and I, and I start listening to an interview from a, a woman who it was at that time, a, her husband was a very prominent minister uh, in, in America, and if I was to mention his name, you would probably, most of you know who he is. He's, they're still living. Uh, but she was talking about their, their marriage, and she was being very honest about the conflict within their marriage, and she said, you know, I started taking to God the fact that we were having regular conflict in our marriage, and what God started speaking to me about was me not him. And my, I was upset that he wasn't as good as his dad because he was, his dad was a minister too. And if I was to mention his name, you'd all know him. And so the, the son wasn't living up to the reputation of the father. So when this gal married the son, she thought he was going to be just like dad. And he was going to be this man of God that she really needed him to be and all of this stuff. And so they get married, and he's not, he's not there. But he's obviously 30-some years younger than dad. And God began to speak to her about unrealistic expectations that she had towards her husband. He said to her, and she, she said this in that interview, uh, I was expecting him to be what his dad is, and he's so much younger. And God said to me, You've got to give your husband a chance to grow. You're expecting something that he can't deliver yet because he is not there yet. You've got to quit demanding and start encouraging and reinforcing his life and his, his growth in the Lord. She was expecting a spiritual giant out of a relatively young man. And God told her that she needed to give him time to grow and to back off of that. And she realized that what God was saying was true to her. And so she backed off and she gave her minister husband time to grow and time to develop. 
and to become the man of God that God wanted him to be and the man of God that she wanted him to be. Marriage experts will tell you that one of the, the, the chiefest reasons people uh, divorce and separate from one another is something called unfulfilled expectations. We all come in with expectations and we... And in virtually every marriage, you don't live up to all of the expectations. And that has become one of the greatest reasons for divorce in America today. In fact, there's a formula that some of the experts use to make this point. And it just simply goes like this. When your expectations are greater than your reality, it will equal disappointment. And oftentimes, it will destroy your, your marriage. Expectations over reality... It is, is something that will never work out. And yet a lot of couples go into their marriage with this very scenario in their life. So when we do that, it sets us up for conflict and oftentimes uh, for separation in our lives. One of the big problems, if you are a person, I want to take it a little bit further here, who just expects your spouse to meet all of your needs, is that uh, we... People who are like that become very ungrateful because they become very self-centered. And so they become very ungrateful when they expect performance out of people and the people give it, they aren't thankful for it, they take it for granted. And they feel, and this is a key thing, they begin to feel that whatever he does for her Whatever she does for him is owed to them. They owe it to me in our relationship. But the truth is, your spouse owes you nothing. If you can get that in your heart, you will be so much better off. It's, it's a matter of your perspective. Who owes who what? Happy couples know that they are owed nothing, but they owe the other everything. And so when I come into my relationship with my wife, instead of uh, expecting, and I had those expectations, especially when I was younger, unrealistic expectations. And they were points of conflict and confusion and frustration. Now, when I, as I've learned and grown and, and, grown and matured, uh, when I go into my relationship with my wife saying, I owe her instead of she owes me, it becomes a total different situation and, and the development of our lives together is so increased. So how do we change our expectations? Well, Jesus said in John 13, 34, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So how did Jesus love us? He loved us selflessly, right? He sacrificed himself. Now that verse isn't something that just works like between brothers and sisters and the Lord. That works in our relationship as husband and wife as well. Now here's what we, I think we all understand this. When we were born, we were born selfish. We wanted, I mean, when we cried, we wanted mom to bring us dinner when, when we fussed, we wanted our diapers changed. When we screamed, we wanted it our way. And that's understandable when you're talking about a newborn, when you're talking about a two-month-old or a four-month-old. 
uh, and that's fine. But when we're, we're looking at a, a six-year-old who's still demanding like that, and we look at a 16-year-old who's still demanding like that, and, and we look at a 26, and we could just keep on going, folks, because it's all over the place today. People who are demanding that everybody else meet their need. Now, it's fine when the baby's that way, but when the adult's that way, it works into disaster. The fact is, you and I will never be happy, you'll never be content, you'll never be fulfilled trying to satisfy yourself. Let me tell you how this works after 45 years of marriage and, and 66 years of life. If you're focused on satisfying yourself, you'll never find it. If you're focused on being happy, you'll never find it. It's when you make it your goal to bless other people, to sacrifice yourself for the good of other people, which is exactly what Jesus did, to love the way Jesus loved and sacrificially give yourself. When you do that, that's when God begins to bestow a sense of greater purpose and, and, and the, the lack of self-respect that you were dealing with before begins to get healed. When Jesus enters your life, when you give him your heart, we're given a new nature. And that new nature gives us the potential to live selflessly. Until Jesus enters our life, we don't fully have that ability because we're bound by the old nature. But when Jesus enters our life, we can become different people by the power of the Holy Spirit changing our thinking and changing the way we live. Now, we all know this. We all live in an incredibly selfish world today. Incredibly selfish. Very me-focused. What I'm telling you is that may be the way the world is, but that is a disaster, a recipe for disaster for your marriage. If you make the world's system become your system as husband and wife, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a disaster. The only way to be happy in your marriage is to die to yourself and live for a bigger purpose. Live for a bigger purpose. So my big purpose now is to live for her. And after I live for her, to live for you and to bless you. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about touching lives for the glory of God. So ultimately, he's my big purpose, and that's manifest in how I treat her, what I expect from her, and how I treat you, and how, what I expect from you. And when you live that way, you become happy. The church is happy when it lives that way. They're happy with each other. A family, a couple, are happy together, and happy couples know that. They know that. The second thing I've noticed is that happy couples understand it's mutual. This thing called marriage is mutual. And what I mean by that is happy couples don't fall into this demand game, demanding performance from each other based on unrealistic expectations. And I did this for you, and why aren't you doing something for me, you know? Instead, they understand that each of them carry responsibility to making 
the marriage successful. And I would say if there's, if there's, a, if there's a scripture in the New Testament that is kind of the bullseye or core scripture dealing with marriage, husband and wife relationships, it would have to be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And if, you're, if you understand the scriptures, if you've been a, a believer for a while, you know that this is true. Uh, most of you uh, Christian guys know uh, verse number 22 really well. That's in there. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's probably your favorite verse in the Bible. You know, and, and so uh, you go around, and in fact, I, I've told my wife, I have a great message that I have prepared about that, and I have, I have offered to preach that on the, at the, Christ, the annual Christmas, women's Christmas event that they have, and I said, honey, I got this great message, and I mentioned it to her about 10 or 12 years ago, and she has yet to ask me to speak to the women about wives submitting to their husbands. I don't get it. I don't understand what the problem is. But I want you to know publicly, honey, I still have that message available. And if, if you're interested, you just need to give me a heads up because I've checked my calendar. But uh, may, maybe I'll be able to. But anyway, this is like the guy's favorite verse out of that portion of Scripture, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Uh, then the women, their favorite verse out of that section of scripture is verse 25 says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and all the women said amen, amen. that's right now the truth is some couples all they know of all that scripture is just those two verses I mean they the rest of it they just kind of ignore and and so they use those two verses kind of like clubs to beat each other over the head and, and try to get their own way out of the whole thing but uh as I was reading in Ephesians 5, there's another verse that I think belongs in the discussion along with this discussion about husbands and wives. Uh, traditionally, it's been verses 22 through 33. But I think there's another verse that belongs in there, and it's verse 21 out of Ephesians 5. And this is what verse 21 says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I say it belongs in that, in that chunk of verses talking about marriage because if you, have, if you read the NIV version, you will see that it, it breaks down this section and it calls it wives and husbands is what it calls it. And it breaks it down into verses 22 through 33. But I think the New Living Translation gets it right on this one because it actually brings verse 21 into the the discussion about husbands and wives. And, you know, I will tell you, in all of my years of, of being a Christian and of hearing messages about family life and so forth, I will tell you, personally, I have never heard somebody preaching or teaching on the subject of family life or husbands and, and wives using verse number 21. They always start with verse number 22 and read down through verse number 33. That's, that's the... And, and so, as I was growing up, I knew verse 22, wives submit to their husbands. I knew that one really well, you know. But I almost, I don't know that I have ever heard a message that included verse 21 being talked about with regards to husbands and wives, which says submit to one another out of the fear of Christ. But one day in my reading of the scripture, all of a sudden like a light went on. Boom. There was verse 21. 
Where have you been all of my life? It had been there. I just didn't pay close attention to it because I like verse 22 better. You know, we talk submission. Let's, let's get it straight. Let's go right to the throat. Wives submit to their husbands, you know. That was a good verse to me. But it was like a slight went on, and I knew instinctively that if Carrie and I were going to have a life together of happiness, it's going to take more than her submitting, submitting to me. I was going to have to learn to submit to her too. But here's the problem. When you base your expectations in marriage on wrong ideas of what, what a marriage is supposed to be, you set yourself up for a fall. Andy Stanley, who pastors a great church down in Atlanta, Georgia, made this statement. He says, great marriages aren't built on a division of labor. Like, you know, this is your job and that's my job. No. He says, great marriages are a submission competition. In other words, how can I submit? We're in competition as to who can submit the most to one another. I know that sounds silly, but that's, that's so absolutely true. That is the correct idea of marriage right there, this submission competition. It's me looking for ways to fulfill Carrie by submitting to her when needed, and her looking for ways to fulfill me by submitting to me when needed, and it's a, it's a submission competition between the two of us. But our problem is our ego. Our ego doesn't want to submit because we think we're right. And we don't want our spouse to know that we're not. And so, remember that, the Lucy quote I shared last week? If I can't be right, I'm going to be wrong at the talk, top of my lungs. You know, Lucy out of peanuts, you know. And that's how it ends up being. I, I may know that I'm wrong, but I'm, if I say it loud enough and angry enough, then I'll get my way. And that's kind of how this plays out in our, in our lives. And it ends up being like this tug of war between us. And if your marriage is a tug of war, the thought of laying down your end of the rope can be terrifying. How will he try to dominate me if I lay down this rope? He'll try to push me around. How will she disrespect me if I lay down my rope? But here's where we go back to this example of Christ thing that Paul said earlier in Ephesians. And this time we're going to go over to Romans 5, 8. And he says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's God laying down the rope first. Do you get it? That's God laying down the rope first. And he did that with no guarantee that you and I would ever return the favor to him. He took a chance with us, and I think that's what happy couples are willing to do. They're willing to take a chance. This is what happy couples know. Another quote from Andy Stanley. There is no hope till you let go the rope. Number three, happy couples throw things. I got everybody's attention. In my years of ministry, I've gotten involved with a lot of conflict in people, with people, and they're usually in the office and so forth, and so it's not too overwhelming. 
but I particularly remember one about 35 years ago. And uh, I got a call one evening, and she's on the phone. She says, can you get over to our house? We're having this huge fight. And I said, okay. Of course, everybody loves to walk into those situations. So I ring the doorbell. I go, you know, and I'm, th I'm figuring out, well, I'm going to hear a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming and all that stuff because that kind of goes with a huge fight. But um, it was a whole lot worse than that. When I got there, she's throwing stuff at him, dishes, anything she can lay her hand on, she's throwing it at him. And he is so angry at her that at one point he has gone over to the wall and punched a hole in the wall with his fist. And, uh, and so I see this big hole in the wall and I see broken stuff laying around and they're screaming and yelling at each other. And, and my goal at that point was just to calm the situation down so I didn't have to call the police. Well, long story short, I got it, we got it calmed down, we worked through it, and their marriage survived, okay? So that's where we're going. But with that in mind, that scenario in mind, here I am telling you, you got to throw things to be happy. And you might be saying to yourself, are you nuts? Well, that's, that's another point. That's a whole other idea, an issue, you know, so we, we won't go there today. But... Um, we have to learn to throw things, but we have to learn to throw them the right way, the right direction, and we have to learn what things to throw. And so I went over here to this, this uh, little verse that is tucked away in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, and I'll probably guarantee that most of you, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you know this verse very well. Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The translation I've given you here is from the Phillips New Testament translation. It says, throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. And I like that because it said throw. Throw the whole weight of your personal concerns. That is what happy couples do. They throw their anger. They throw their frustration. They throw their disappointments. They throw their worries. All of it not at each other, they throw it upon Jesus Christ. They submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I want my way, and if I yell at him long enough, I'll get him to back down, but it doesn't work. It will not work. Yeah, but if I scream at her enough, I'll get my way, but it doesn't work. You've got to have the power of God working within your marriage especially if the two of you are Christians. You've got to have the power of God working there, submitting these things to Christ. So I was reading this commentary this past week on these verses by, from a guy by the name of Warren Wiersbe, and he made an interesting observation that I tell you, I'd never thought of before. And he wrote these words, he says, Unless we meet the conditions laid down in verses 5 and 6, we cannot claim the wonderful promise of verse 7. All of my life I've been claiming the wonderful promise of verse 7, and to tell you the truth, when I read that, I thought, what does verse 5 and 6 say? I didn't even know what it said. And so I went to the Bible, and this is what it said. It says, all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Now, a one, a, another way I underlined serve each other, another way of saying that is submit to each other. 
Submit to one another because you can't serve the interests of another person unless you have a humble, submissive spirit towards that individual. So Peter is saying here in verse number 5, you, you submit to one another. And then verse 6 he says, and you submit to God. And if you submit to one another and you submit to God, then you can cast all of your care upon him and he will take care of the situation because he cares about you and your circumstance and your marriage and all of it. You, that's when it works. But if you don't do verses 5 and 6, then verse 7 doesn't work either. So here's what it gets down to. We all enter marriage with hopes and dreams and desires. But the only way to keep those hopes and dreams and desires from becoming unrealistic expectations is to decide that your spouse doesn't owe you anything. Come back to that again. They don't owe you. Because as long as you think your spouse owes you, your marriage becomes all about keeping score. And that will destroy your intimacy. God gave us a definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And listen to what he says in verses 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And I underline this part. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I'm going to confess to you something. I'll tell you when that verse jumped out and smacked me in the face. The underlined part. I'll tell you when that happened for me. It's when I, as a pastor, was doing a wedding for a couple in our church. Not this church, but the church we were pastoring at the time. And I'm reading the definition of love out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I read that. It keeps no record of wrongs, and it's like God just smacked me in the face with it and said, Jim, you are doing that to her. You are doing that to your wife, and you've done it for a long time. And it's time to throw the record away. Happy couples throw things. They throw the right thing. I, I thought she owed me. In effect, I was keeping a record of what I thought she needed to do for me because of what I felt I was doing for her. And I will tell you as a pastor that nearly every couple, when I originally wrote this, I said every couple, and I thought, well, I probably better not say that. But that's how prevalent. Nearly every couple that is having marriage problems that I have dealt with through all of these years of pastoral ministry they have done that very thing. They've kept a record of wrong. And they, they come in and she says this about him and then he says this about her and each of them want me to take their side. And I always figure I've done a good job when they walk out and they're both mad at me <laughs> because I didn't give you, either one of them their, you know, hey, they're both wrong. You're both wrong here. And they've kept the record of wrongs. And brothers and sisters, if we will lay that down and throw it away, that'll take your marriage 
down the road like you can't believe if you'll do that. So here's what you got to do. You got to throw things. You've got to throw that record away. You've got to throw that anger on Jesus because he's the only one that can heal your heart. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.